we are in a series called Journey of Life, and last week we talked about what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ and what it means to be a mature, being fully mature in Christ. And they're two different things. Um, being fully devoted means that I've been reborn. Uh, it means that I've settled the authority issue in my life. It means I've, I've, God is my authority. He is the Lord of my life, not just my Savior. Uh, but being fully devoted also means that I've, I'm committed to growing to full maturity. It's the, it's the difference between just being on the trail and actually being on the journey with God. Now, uh, there's different stages of being mature, um, and we're, we're going to go through these in this series. Uh, the first one is seeker, and the next one is infant, and then teen, adult, and parent. And that, that may sound strange right now. We're kind of using the analogy of, of a human being as they grow up in the Christian faith. Um, but we begin to understand that being fully devoted to God and being fully mature in God are two different things. We kind of liken it to a marriage, if you will. When you stand in front of a pastor or wherever you're standing in front of people and, and you say, I do, you're just as married as you're ever going to be. You're fully devoted. But anybody in the room would know that that does not necessarily mean you're fully mature. Uh, you're going to grow in that. There are years to come where you're going to grow with your spouse and grow in God, and, and you guys are going to kind of blend together um, and keep maturing. So, so being fully devoted means I'm all in, it means I'm completely sold out to Jesus. I've been reborn. I've settled the authority issue, and I'm committed to growing. But being fully mature, and this is the definition we're using throughout the series, that means I'm at the appropriate level of maturity for every stage of life. And so we're going to grow. So if you're, if you're in one of these stages and you are fully mature for that stage and you're growing, then you're fully mature. A six-year-old is fully mature if they're potty trained, if they're picking out their own clothes, if they know how to tie their shoes. There are several things that a six-year-old can do, and you can say that's a fully mature six-year-old. But if they're 15 and they're still working off the same set of accomplishments as a six-year-old, there's a problem. They're not, not fully mature. So at whatever stage you're in, as we talk about these, I want you to think about, does that relate to me? Am I in that stage? And maybe even a bigger question is, is am I committed to, to growing forward? Am I committed to growing in God? Um, I, I've known some baby Christians that they're as sincere as they can be, uh, but they make, they make a lot of mistakes. Uh, I knew one guy in particular who lived a life kind of far away from God and eventually came back to him. Um, and he had one of his old buddies that had come to visit him, and they were kind of talking out beside the car, and uh, the, the, the conversation turned to Jesus, and the guy who had kind of just given his life to God, he was an infant uh, in, in Christ, but he, he, he kind of got upset because the other guy didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. And his attitude kind of kicked in. He said, listen, if you don't love Jesus, you can just get out of my driveway. <laughs> and, and I said that nice. He used a few choice words that I didn't put in that story. Uh, and that's not the way Christians are supposed to act. I certainly don't condone foul language. I'm just saying, you know, if you're an infant in Christ, you've got a ways to go. And he certainly did. You can't expect an infant in Christ to act like an adult in Christ. And so there's different stages that we go through. But being fully mature, it means that you're at the appropriate level of development for every stage of life. It means you're growing. It means you're on this, on this journey. And so the stages in the spiritual journey are much like human development. Uh, you have the, the seeker and the, then the infant and then the teen and the, and the adult and the parent. And through the series, we're going to look at each one in detail. So I want you to ask yourself, is this the stage I'm in? And if it is, uh, where am I going? Because God cares more about the, the, the direction of your feet than where you've been or how far you've come. And so we got to ask ourselves the question, where am I headed and am I committed to growing to the next level? Today we're going to look at the seeker stage. That's kind of at the very beginning. That's, that's, that's before you cross over the line of faith. That's I'm looking. 
Um, and uh, uh, the good news is, is that this stage is filled with rewards. We would think, well, they're, they're not even, they don't even believe in God, so how can a seeker have rewards? Well, there is. Um, in Proverbs 8, 17, this is talking about God's wisdom and God himself. It says this, those who search will surely find me. Those who, those who search will surely find me. You know, let's be honest. We spend most of our lives searching for something. We do. I mean, when we're kids, we're searching for the person that we're playing hide-and-go-seek with, <laughs> right? And, and as we get older, we become adults. We're trying to find that perfect mate. We're trying to find that perfect job. We're trying to find a car that won't break down every time we get in it. Uh, we're, we're searching for something. And as we get older, maybe into our, in our elderly stages of life or retirement, we're looking for security. Uh, we're looking for something to, to make sure that we're going to be secure in life going forward. Uh, there is a sense in our human nature that we never stop seeking, that we never stop learning, that we're always kind of seeking something to fill something. But what, what if it's deeper than that? What, what if the, what we're looking for is actually something to fill a void in our lives, something that's, that's, that's empty inside of us that nothing else seems to satisfy? There's an empty place in our hearts. Last week on the bumper video, we saw Laura. She wasn't interested in going to church at all. She just decided to go because she wanted to shut up her friend, right? And this week, we see that uh, she actually went, and there's something that's stirring in her heart now. She doesn't even know what it is, but she knows that there's something there. Uh, something is stirring. She's seeking. And what she needs to understand is the same thing that we need to understand, is that there is a difference in seeking God and seeking God's stuff. There's a difference in seeking the, the giver and not just seeking the gifts. Everybody wave to the train. Wait, train. He's going to do it again. Hold on. Just wait for it. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, train. There's a difference in seeking God and seeking God's stuff. And, and everybody who's seeking is, is, is seeking. They may not even know what they're seeking. And if we're not careful, sometimes in that seeker stage, we'll begin to seek God's stuff rather than, rather than God himself. But if you're seeking to fill the, that void in your life, that deep void, you're going to have to understand that this is, uh, in order to be successful at seeking what you're really trying to find, you can't just seek God's stuff. You have to, have to seek God. And in my experience, there's, there's three kinds of seekers. And I want you to decide um, if, if this is the stage you're in, if, if one of these uh, relates to you. The first one is the crisis seeker. The crisis seeker. There's, this is somebody who seeks God because of a crisis in their life. Something has gone wrong, and they need something to fix it. And there's nothing necessarily wrong uh, with, with this. Um, most people are open to God whenever they go through crisis. Uh, the problem is that when the crisis is over, these types of people walk away. <laughs> <laughs> they, they get the crisis solved, and then they walk away. They forfeit a relationship with God for a crisis fix. And this becomes a pattern in their life. Uh, and we have this example in the Bible of, of Israel, God's people back in the Old Testament days, and they went from one crisis to another. He would rescue them, they'd call out to him, and then when they rescued him, they, they kind of turned away from him. And they did it over and over again. You remember uh, the story, uh, whenever they came out of Egypt, they were slaves for almost 400 years, and they cried out to God, and God sent Moses, and then Moses delivered them out. And then three days later, they're at the Red Sea, and they're not just, you know, praise God, we know you're going to deliver us. They start grumbling. 
Why'd you bring us out here only to kill us? We were safer back in Egypt whenever we were slaves. They begin to call out to God, uh, to Moses, grumbling against him, actually take us back to slavery. We were better off there. And what does God do? God miraculously parts the Red Sea, makes a way. They go through it and they begin to praise him, make a monument on the other side to praise God. Uh, and then soon after that, there's a water shortage. Uh, the, the water was bitter and they needed, to, they needed to be able to drink it. And so they grumbled and complained and cried out to God. And God came through and made the water drinkable. And, and, and they did this. And, and over and over again, they came to God. God would do something miraculous. And when things got better, they turned around and walk away. Eventually, God brought them to this beautiful land that they didn't possess. They didn't do anything uh, to, to, to earn that. And God brought them into this beautiful land. Today, we call it the land of Israel. Um, and they were there. And when times were bad, they called out to God. And then when God came through, they eventually walked away from him. And there's this verse in Judges chapter 2, verse 12, it tells the ultimate outcome. It says that they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And there's this pattern with, with crisis seekers. There, there's a crisis, and they cry out to God. Then there's some type of miracle. There's something that happens where the crisis is solved and then the walk away from God. And this pattern happens over and over. And you'd be surprised that this is not just a history lesson. This happens over and over again in our lives. It happens in the church, maybe more often than, than you would think. People with failed marriages, they come in here and they're trying to get their marriage back together and they're having trouble and, and they know that the church is a place of hope and healing and, and, and we kind of surround them and they come in and they get help and maybe they get some counseling. Maybe their finances are a wreck and they need some help. Uh, or, or they're addicted to drugs or alcohol, and they, they just have made a wreck of themselves. And, and they come in, and we, we gather around them, and we help them through the crisis. And sometimes they stick around for a while, um, and then eventually they, they disappear, and nobody sees them. And then maybe they, a little bit here, and then they go away, and, and eventually we don't ever see them again. And, and it happens over and over. Their idea about God is always dependent on whether or not the situation was resolved which means they focus on the crisis. They focus on God's stuff and not God himself, not the relationship. Now, you may be in crisis right now, and you may, you may be seeking God for help. I, I want you to know you're doing a good thing because God loves you. God knows where you're at. He knows what you need, and he wants to help. But I want to encourage you, don't stop there because you need so much more than just relief from crisis. You need God himself because there is a God that wants to walk with you long after the crisis is over. The second kind of seeker is the benefit seeker. This is the person uh, who sees the lives of Christians and just quite bluntly, they like what they see and they want it. <laughs> they, they, see, they see encouragement that we're giving each other. They see the blessings. They see restored relationships because people have sought God. Uh, they see um, the friendships, all these kinds of things. And they see it and they, and they want that. And it's attractive. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's not bad in and of itself. I'd say most people come to Jesus because uh, initially they, they need something and they want some type of resolve in their life. They see something they want and they need it and they go for it. The problem is um, if you're looking to fill the void in your life, you've got to go beyond the what's in it for me. Uh, again, we're, we're not talking about just feeling, um, uh, you know, some, some temporary things. We're talking about the, the God-shaped void in your life. Just seeking crisis resolution won't do it. And just seeking benefits of some things that are happening in your life because you think it's popular, that's not going to do it. There's this story in the New Testament. It's kind of interesting. There's a sorcerer. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird. Sounds like we're going to uh, uh, Harry Potter or something. But it, I promise it's not what it is. 
Um, and, and, and there's this guy named Simon in Acts chapter 8, and he's a sorcerer, um, and church leaders had come to town, and they began to preach and talk about Jesus. This was very popular back then. They were getting the name of Jesus out there, and God's power was working through the first century church leaders. I mean, they were, uh, God's, they'd put their hands on people, and they would pray for them, and people would be getting healed. People, blind eyes would open up. People would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and their lives would be just filled with God's power. And so Simon's in town, and he sees the apostles, the, the church leaders doing this stuff, and he's like, whoa, he said, this is awesome. This is nothing like I've ever seen before. Um, and he didn't realize that it wasn't the church leaders doing it, but it was the power of God working through them. Um, and so what he saw was the results, and he wanted it for his act. <laughs> this is kind of interesting. It says it in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 18. It says, when Simon saw this, that the Holy Spirit was given, when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads, listen, he offered money to buy the power. <laughs> is this, I'm the only one to think that's funny. He says, let me have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But then Peter, which was like the main church leader, he said, listen, let your money perish with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. The good news is, is that Simon listened and he believed, uh, and later he was saved and baptized. But I've seen people come to church for all kinds of reasons. Some people come for friendships. Some people come because they want positive change in their lives, or they want their kids to have, uh, you know, godly influence. Um, others come, honestly, I've seen it. People come, singles, they come because they want a godly man or a godly woman, and they think this is the place they're going to find it. And so they kind of look at it as, eh, they're coming here because they want God. But there's this like close second that's like, hey, maybe I'll find the man of my dreams. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you're quiet right now, you probably have thought it. Listen, all these aren't bad things, but I want you to know that that God-shaped void in your life, uh, God's stuff is never going to be able to fill that. You can find the best man or the best woman out there. Your kids can be pumped full of the greatest curriculum that we do here, which is awesome, by the way. But that stuff will never fill that void shape in your life. That void down deep inside of you can only be satisfied by knowing how much you're loved by God and having a relationship with Him, not having crisis resolution and not gaining some benefits. And that's what makes the last kind of seeker so successful as a seeker, and I remind you that all of these are, are before confessing faith in Jesus Christ. They're, they're seekers. They're trying to find something. Some people try to find crisis resolution. Other people are seeking the benefits. But then there's, there's the earnest seeker. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, we, we can search, we can crave, we can desire uh, to fill that void in our lives and let it be filled. But this verse doesn't say that he just rewards those who earnestly seek. It says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, who earnestly seek him. Now, the thing about an earnest seeker is that they know something is missing in their lives. They, they know they need a change, but the interesting part is, is they, might, they, 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 they might not know that it's God that they're seeking. They might not know, but they know something is different. Um, and if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ and you, you've got somebody in your life who's an earnest seeker and you know that they know something is missing in their lives and you guys talk regularly or whenever you do talk, um, you need to understand that, that Jesus is just as present and just as real as the seat that you're sitting in. And, and the person that you're talking to, they may want to believe that too, but they just don't know it yet. They haven't figured that out yet. They can't see it. 
And so it's not unusual for the seeker to be open to you as a fully devoted follower of Christ in the relationship that you have, but be completely closed off to your faith. They're open to you. They like you. You have a good relationship with them. But when it comes to Jesus and it comes to the faith, they don't want to hear anything about that. They're kind of closed off to that. Um, they know something is missing. They, they may even know it's a relationship. And they may even assume that it's a human relationship that, that they're missing. And, and they may do that with you. And I'm not talking about a romantic relationship. They may try to get their, their religious, spiritual fix being in relationship with you. And maybe that's why they ask you questions. Maybe that's why they, they want to go to church when they do, but they want to go only when you go. Or they want you to pray for them. And that's okay at first, because right now they're just open to you. They just, they like you. But you need to know that that'll never satisfy the void in their lives. Ever. Never. Only God can satisfy the void. In fact, any relationship that you have, I don't care if it's a marriage relationship or a, a sibling relationship, no relationship can satisfy somebody else 100%. There, there, there's this rule called the 80-20 rule, the, the Pareto principle. And what it says is, is that the best you can ever satisfy somebody is 80%. And 20% is reserved for God to, to complete it. If you think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, perfection. The place was perfect. There was no in-laws to fight over. Um, that's probably not... There, there was no sin, right? Just threw that in there. Didn't know if I'd get an amen or not. You're smart. Smart people in the room. Um, it was perfect. But yet God still was there with them to complete them. <laughs> they, they, were, they were incomplete without God. And what happens a lot of times is, especially in a marriage relationship, is that you're unsatisfied because that 20% is your partner is never going to be able to satisfy you that way. And if you don't have God in your life to fully satisfy you, then you're going to think that you're, you have unmet expectations in them, even though the very best they have to give and could ever give and the best you can give them is 80%. That's your very best. And then God completes them. And so what happens is if you don't have God to complete you, you sometimes you'll feel incomplete, that 20%. And you'll actually go looking for somebody else. Somebody else will fill that 20%. And you're completely ignorant to the fact that you have an 80%er over here. And instead of letting God fill that void in your life, you go for somebody else and you leave. And I, we, we've seen it time and time again. And, and what ends up happening is they leave, they leave. And, and they finally, at some point, not far along, they realize they've settled for a 20%er when they had an 80. <laughs> it happens. And, and what, they're, what they're not understanding is, is that no person is going to satisfy anybody 100%. There, there's always that God void that only God can fill. And so if you're in a relationship with a seeker, you have to understand that, that you can never satisfy their spiritual longings by yourself. You, you can't do it. But at first, before they ever cross that line of faith, sometimes earnest seekers, they're open to you, but they're not open to your faith. So what do you do to help a seeker move past this point? Titus chapter 2, verse 10 uh, says this. It says, show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. A.K.A. give God a good name by the way you live. Make sure that the way you live is attractive and gives God a good name. There are uh, they're seekers, and they're just not ready to hear a sermon yet, unless it's being lived out by you. <laughs> I heard somebody say one time, preach good sermons and use words only when necessary. Live your life in such a way that preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? It means you be yourself. 
You don't shy away from the fact that you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, but you don't shove it down their throat either. You don't sit back and look for every opportunity to, sh to, to shove Jesus down their throat. They want to talk about, you know, the bread that they're going to eat uh, at, at Outback State. Oh, Jesus broke the bread and drank the wine. You know, you're not, you're, not, you're not always looking for an end to try to shove Jesus down. You're just being you. And I can promise you the love that you give and the love that you show, maybe just to the waiter or the waitress that everybody else is dogging and not tipping, just by you doing that, that can show them the love of Jesus Christ in you. Being thankful for the things they do for you will show the love of Jesus Christ. Forgiving somebody and letting them see it because of the way you, your attitude is towards them, the way you refuse to talk about people, even the people that have wronged you, that shows the love of Jesus Christ and it, it makes the gospel attractive. And, and what happens is, for 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks of you the reason that you have a hope. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so, because what happens is this, every time, sooner or later, something is going to happen, you will live your life in goodness enough where they will look at you and say, what's up with that? Why are you so quick to, to forgive? How, man, I tell you what, I, I just, there's something about you. And, every, and, and they do it, and they'll ask the question, why are you different? <laughs> How are you able to handle whatever comes your way? You just seem so... Calm and collective. You just seem to have it together. And this is the place where you're able to talk about your faith. This is the place where they'll not just be open to you, but because you've lived it out practically in front of them, they'll be open to your faith too. And so if, if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, you need to understand that you may have seekers in your life. You may have earnest seekers in your life. And it may not ever be something you say. It may not ever be a Bible you open. It might be, and I hope you get that opportunity. But a lot of the times, they're open to you first and not necessarily your faith. And it's something that you'll live out in front of them. And at some point, they'll ask you, why do you do what you do? And there's your, there's your end. Maybe you're an earnest seeker today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been listening to me talk and, and you're saying, I'm a, I'm a seeker. That's, that's the stage I'm in. I want you to know that you're welcome here. If you're listening to this in some other way, maybe on the internet, I want you to know that you're welcome here at the bridge. We love you. And if you're an earnest seeker, uh, since you're watching a church service and you're in a church service, um, you're probably expecting someone to preach to you. So <laughs> I just, I want to talk to you about one, one verse in the Bible um, that you may have heard before. Jeremiah 29, 11. We probably all heard this. We're going to talk about a few verses after that. But it says this. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is God talking. He says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Listen, he, he said, I got plans to give you a hope. I've got plans to give you a future. Now, that's the part that we hear. God has plans for us. He has plans to prosper us. That, that's the part that we love. He has plans to do all these things. And we shout it from the rooftops and we proclaim it as Christians. Listen, but he says, then you will call on me and you'll come and pray to me. And I'll listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And, and if you've been in church much, like I said, you, you've probably heard verse 11. You, you, it's probably your favorite verse. I know people that have it as their, as their slogan. God has plans for me, plans to prosper me, not to harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. But there is so much more to the context of this verse and who God was talking to and what the position that they were in that I feel like you need to know. The nation of Israel are captives in Babylon at this point. Again, they walked away from God. And other invading armies came in and took them captive, ripped them out of their homes, and they are calling out to God for help. They're saying, God, please help us, and they're doing it. And he responds to their seeking, and this is what he says. He looks like, yeah, I get it. 
I know right now that you're seeking help from me, relief from me, more than you're seeking to know me. But he says, but listen, when you understand the plans that I have for you, your heart's going to shift and you're going to begin to seek me. And when you seek me, you're going to seek me with all your heart. And, and listen to what he says next. When you seek me with all your heart, verse 14 says, I'll be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity. Now, if you're a seeker in the room today and, and you would say, well, I'm not in captivity. I've never been ripped from my home. I've never, I've never been uh, a slave in anywhere. Listen, the answer to your question, the, the, the finding that, that you're seeking, the hope that you're looking for, uh, if that, that void is in your life, that empty place that nothing else can seem to fill, God's answer is the same that he spoke way back then. It's not a relief from a crisis. It, it, it's not benefits that you think the church can offer you. The answer, 110% of the time, is a relationship with a person. And that person is Jesus. That the captivity we face today, it, it may not look like theirs did, but feelings of being lost, those feelings of being empty, the, those feelings of, of having a void on the inside, the, that's the captivity that we face day to day. We, we started today with a, a verse in, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17, and this is what it said. It says, those who, who search for me will surely find me. That's God's promise to you. If you're earnestly seeking God today, he says, you will, you're going to find me. And then later on in verse 35, these two verses are connected. He says, whoever finds me is going to find life and receive favor from the Lord. And life here has a context of strong, of strength, of growing, of being real. A lot of times when we're seeking God, where things seem empty and things seem fake. But God says, I want to give you something real. When you seek me, you're going to find me. When you find me, you're going to find real. <laughs> you're going to find something that grows you and builds you. And then he says, uh, you're going to find favor. It's this idea of being accepted and pleasing. And so as I'm closing, the band's getting ready to play a song. I just want you to know, when you seek God, you have to know you're seeking a God who wants to give you life, who wants to grow you. You're seeking a God that wants to give you something that's very real and life-giving. And at the end of the day, he wants you to be pleasing and acceptable, not just to him, but to everybody that you meet, everybody that you come into contact with. Can you stand with me? We're getting ready to sing this song. It's called The Heart of Worship. And I don't know what you've been seeking for. Maybe today you are somebody who's earnestly seeking, or maybe you're a fully devoted follower of Christ who has influence in a seeker's life. I think all of us are one of those. And as we sing this song, I want us to worship together, but I also want to give you an invitation. If you're seeking today, I want to give you an invitation to cross that line of faith and say yes to Jesus to know that, that that void in your life, which you've really been seeking for, is Him. It's been Him all along. If it wasn't, then you, you wouldn't have that void still in your life. There wouldn't be empty places in you. He's saying it's Him, and I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Him today. There's going to be some people down here who will pray with you, um, and I want you to take the opportunity to not just stand here and look at some screens and sing a song, but to change everything about your eternity and change everything about the condition of your soul right now. And maybe you're a fully devoted follower of Christ in here, and you would say, you know what? I've been handling the seekers in my life completely wrong. I've been trying to Bible beat them. I've been trying to Jesus juke them. I've been trying to, to thump them over the head every chance I get. Stop doing that. That's annoying. And it could be that we're pushing people away. 
It's not that your heart's not right. I don't question your heart. But the method sometimes, we're actually doing more damage than we are good. Live it out in front of them, and God will give you the opportunity to speak. And maybe you just want to repent today and say, you know what? I, I love the people in my life so much that are seeking God. I want to make sure that I'm doing it in a way that's honoring to God. Because at the end of the day, we're pointing them to Him, not us. So maybe today you would, you would just say, I, I, I want to repent, and I want God's heart to be in mine. I, I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. So those two things today. I, I, I want to make this altar available. I'm going to be down here as we sing. Um, Lou's going to be down here. David will even be down here. Uh, and, and if you want to pray, if you want prayer for either of those things, please come down here and make that, um, make that a reality for you today. I, I believe God wants to do something in your life today.